We're in John chapter 4. Pick up the story. This particular chapter in the story is, is kind of shifting. The focus is turning away from the woman at the well. She ends up going into town and is telling everybody uh, that there was a man who told me everything that I've ever did. But we'll, we'll backtrack into that. I want to pick up around verse 27. And I really want to really focus this morning on verse 34 and, and 34 through 38, actually. But beginning in verse 27 of John chapter 4, reading out of the New King James this morning. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman and yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. And in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, and others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts as we look at this passage this morning, that you would minister to us, and, Lord, that you would cause us to really examine what it is that we are doing here in our own lives and what is our food consisting of, our spiritual food consisting of. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless your word to our hearts, minister to us, fill us with your spirit that we might receive from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So what's, what's going on here is, is that um, Jesus is, or John actually, in writing this gospel, and just the interplay of what's going on here, Jesus is weaving these two stories together because we'll come back next week with uh, the people, the men particularly, but the people from the city of Sychar, they come out and they meet Jesus. And um, they believe on his name. They hear his voice. They believe on his name. I covered most of this last week, didn't I? Okay, um, you're supposed to say, oh, of course you did. Uh, but I wanted to backtrack a little bit and look at this because uh, a few things I think that are, that are, that are worth us uh, considering this morning. 
but particularly this idea where Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And, and the, the, to me, it, it really it opens up a lot of questions to ask. As for, for one, as I prayed, what is our food? What do we focus on? What do we, what do we turn to for nourishment? And is it the same as entertainment? All right, there's a lot of things that we can really entertain ourselves with, can't, can't we? Um, whether it be on the Internet, whether it be on television, whether it be radio, uh, even in the books that we read. Do we, do we spend our time, particularly our leisure time, do we, do we spend it simply in just being entertained? Or are we seeking to build up our most holy faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we seeking to be fed by him in accomplishing his will? And, uh, you know, I grew up in a church. Both Mary and I grew up in the same church together. And, and there were times that, I've, that, that it, it felt like in the preaching that, um, that we were all a bunch of backsliders, backsliders right? It's, like I said, I've lost an hour. We were a bunch of backsliders an inch from hell if we weren't out sharing our faith every single day. Because that's really what this is I, I want I to talk about this morning. Because what it, what it means to see Jesus say, I've received a f- the food by doing the will of the Father. I've received a food from that which you do not know of. And the food is to do the will of him who sent me and, and to, finish, to finish his work. Not only to be active in doing that work, but to, to be set on finishing and to be set on completing. And, and of course, what's so interesting here is, is food then becomes a means to explain his mission. And as Jesus does in some of these little explanations that we read about in the Gospel of John, but also in other Gospels, the, the material is used to give us an illustration or an understanding of the physical. And Jesus at times is talking almost cryptically, almost. He sort of did this with the woman, talking about living water. And, of course, she thought that he was talking about real, actual, physical water. Give me this water so I don't have to come down here and draw, right? Right? He did it earlier with Nicodemus, John chapter 3. You must be born again unless you see the kingdom. uh, uh, You must be born again for you to see the kingdom of God. You will not see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Well, what does it mean to be born again? I'm supposed to get back into my, my mother's womb? That doesn't make any sense. Nicodemus is thinking physical. Jesus is using physical illustrations to speak to us about spiritual things. Now, we should take advantage of this 
because we live here. The heavens declared the glory of God, Psalm 19 tells us, and the firmament his handiworks. And to go outside when there's no clouds and to see the stars and just to experience the handiwork of God. To look at the mountains. Again, every time I say that, I'm always tempted to raise those blinds, but then it would be so distracting. Never mind, right? But to, to the mountains, um, the cycles of the seasons. We're about to enter springtime. Of course, you wouldn't know it as of what we had last Thursday, but spring is soon. Before we know it, we'll be celebrating Easter. And, and so much of nature, Romans chapter 1 is very clear about this. That God has used nature. He's revealed everything really that we probably need to understand. So that we have a sense of curiosity. Follow my thought here. We look at nature, we're able to understand that there is a designer so that we have a sense of curiosity so we begin to pursue God even further through his word. And, and so it, it's this kind of like this double language, if you will, that, that Jesus uses. And he says that in the Greek, it's not obvious at all in the English, but he said when in, in the Greek where he says that, that my, uh, my food is to do the will, my food is the Greek word broma, and will is the Greek word thelema, and it's possible that it was a play on words that Jesus was using because they're somewhat similar sounding. It would make more sense in the Greek. It would make more sense in the first century than it does in the 21st century to us. But Jesus is doing all these little things to to help us to understand the spiritual realm, which I would submit to you is probably really the true reality. The spirit, we, we think of the spiritual realm as kind of otherworldly, right? But think about it. In the beginning, God did what? Created the heavens and the earth. So before the heavens and the earth was created, there was whom? God, where, how? Probably in the spiritual realm. I don't know how, it doesn't say, okay? But that's probably what Genesis 1 is telling us, among many other things. The true reality is spirit. Those who worship God, we saw this in this passage. Those who worship God must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. The Father is now seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. Those must be born again of the flesh and, or, and of what? The spirit. You must be born again of the spirit. I'm still thinking about what that means. To be born again of the spirit. We are called to live spiritual lives. And within the context of the spiritual life, we are fed spiritually when we 
participate in spiritual things. Think about that. We are fed spiritually when we do the will of the Father. In this particular passage, the will of the Father is very clear. He's wanting to reach out to whosoever. He's wanting to reach out to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness sake. For they will be filled. I find it so fascinating. This woman goes into town and says, come and see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. And I can I almost imagine some of you, the way you think and the way you talk, but you're probably thinking, oh, well, this ought to be good, right? You know, and, 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 and wanting to go see. Did this woman have any evangelism training? Had she had a quiet time that morning? Well, you could make the case that she probably did because she had this conversation with Jesus. How well did she know Torah? Who knows? She knew it somewhat. What did she know about the Romans' road? Not a thing. Because it hadn't been inspired yet. Now the concept is there, of course. But she did, you know, it's... And I thought about this, you know, and I'm attending some of these, like, in-service meetings, and they're good. Uh, last year was evangelism. This year was on discipleship. And, it, I, you know, I'm, I'm always looking and listening, and, you know, what, what can I add to, to not only to what I know, but uh, as far as knowledge, but practice. But all, all these... You know, they used to have these things called Christian bookstores, right? I guess in some places they still do. Um, at least I'm told. Um, we used to have them here. Have one. We had two here in Central Oregon. Anyway, neither we don't have any more. But you would go in there and all these, all these books written about what it's like to win the world to Christ and what we need to be doing to win the world to Christ. That woman didn't read any of those books. Bear with me on this. So hear me out. She had a supernatural experience with God. And that was enough. Did G we don't see recorded in here that Jesus says, okay, now that we've had this conversation, leave your water pot in here, it'll be okay, I'll keep an eye on it, I'll be here when you get back, and go tell everybody in town to come see me. It's not recorded. If he said it, it's not recorded. She had an experience with God that we would call supernatural. God would call it just natural because he only operates in one realm, and that is everything that appears supernatural to us is natural to him. And there's a move of the Spirit going on. There's a move of the Spirit going on in this story that we really cannot deny. 
Now, was Jesus intentional? I think he was. I think he was very intentional. Going to that well, knowing, 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 like I said, I've lost an hour. Anyway, knowing that that woman would be there. Knowing that that woman had a hungry heart. Knowing that he could, that the disciples would go away for food. And it doesn't even say whether he sent the disciples away for food. It just tells us in chapter 4 that the disciples went away looking for food. They're thinking material. He's thinking spiritually. Now, he was tired. That's why he was there resting at the well. Did he, he was thirsty. He did want to drink. But he's there, and we, we see this conversation with the women, with the woman. We see this conversation with the disciples. We see this conversation in the previous chapter with Nicodemus. Kind of using this double language that can be confusing. Does God ever confuse you? He confuses me all the time. I'm sorry, but he does. Some of you shook your head, no, I should talk to you later then. But, but nonetheless, because it, it, the wind blows where it wills. And we have no idea where it came from or no idea where it's going. The wind, representation of the Holy Spirit of God. And, and I, I think about, I, I think, boy, I thought about this. It's like I'm still debating about how much I really want to share with you guys this morning on this. What if God does something supernatural in our presence? What would you do? You know, and some of you, you know, some of us, we'd get out the, we'd get, want to get out the slide ruler, Right? And we'd want to analyze it. Oh, what, what, okay, wait a minute here. Now, I know, wait, I, I just saw this. And I, I'm, I got a verse here for you. What would we do if God did a supernatural work in our midst? Now, there are certain churches, and I'm thinking one in particular. I wouldn't give you two wooden nickels for their theology. I wouldn't. They're, they are people who are hungry for God. And I can't deny that. And I, I, at times, I just say, Lord, just once in my life, I'd like to be a, see a part of see people who are hungry for God and that you fulfill that and, and that you meet that and you come into their presence with them and it, for it not to get weird. But unfortunately, man gets a hold of it and makes it weird. I'm talking about different revivals. If you're wondering, Pensacola being one, if you're wondering, uh, the Toronto being another, um, the Jesus movement even went sideways. But God is not always a God that we can totally comprehend. The reality is, guys, if we could, he would no longer be worthy of our worship. 
There are just things about God that I do not understand. And, and even in this passage where he's using language, he's meaning one thing. They think he's meaning something else. And, and so why would Jesus even do this? Why would he, he put these, talk about food, talk about being born again, talk about uh, a living water. Why would he talk about these things And not preface them with, okay, I'm going to talk to you about living water, but what I'm really talking to you about is being filled with the Holy Spirit. What I'm really talking about is this everlasting water that is the presence of the Holy Spirit coming into your life by you giving your life to Jesus Christ. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't even really explain to us here how his food is doing the will of the Father. let alone talking about being born again, being born of the Spirit. Why would he do this? Could it be that he's actually inviting us to use our imagination and to start thinking spiritually rather than materially? To understand that we live spiritual lives could it be that, uh, I remember, <laughs> I, uh, we had this dog once. He was a great dog, Jack. When he was a puppy, all right, when he was a puppy, he didn't like to eat. I don't, it was weird. So I would put down his bowl, let's say, here, and he would be laying down about where Harv is sitting. And he wouldn't come eat. So what I finally started doing is I would get kibble, and I would make a little trail from where he was laying down to the bowl. And sure enough, it worked every time. He would get up. He responded to what was put in front of him. And then once he got done with one, he looked for the next, and he ate that. And finally, he got realized, hey, I'm right next to the bowl. I might as well finish it, right? And I think it is that God does that for us as well, that he puts little treats out in front of us and he's desiring for us to to want uh, to to partake of it, to eat of it, to to uh, engage with it, to wonder about it. See, that's what I find so fascinating about both the Psalms and the Proverbs and the Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon and even the Lamentations. Is it is written in such a way that it really causes me to have to stop and wonder. But what it is doing to me also is it's making me read the Gospels in the same way. Because I read the story and I just like, okay, it, it, I've read it a hundred times at least. But it causes me to stop and wonder. Perhaps it is that Jesus is attempting to try to move us out of our normal thinking that has been conditioned by both secular and religious culture. I remember one time I was with somebody and we're talking about something and, and they asked me, they said, well, what are we anymore anyway? Are we Calvary Chapel? Are we a Baptist? Are we, or, and I said, you know what? We're Christian. We're Christian. I 
I want to come to the scriptures and think like a Christian. Not like a Baptist, whether reformed or free will. Take your pick, all right? I don't want even the religious culture to have too great of an effect on me when I read the scripture. Yet at the same time, and I, and I love this illustration by Wesley. It's called the Wesley Quadrilateral. Recognizing that tradition speaks into our ability to understand scripture. So you've got to hold it with some balance. Is scripture, tradition, experience, and reason by the way, if you wanted to know what the four were. Um, scripture, reason, experience, tradition. Um, and I think that's a good way to, to approach the, the, the scriptures. Um, but I think Jesus does these things. Again, he's, he's trying to get us out of our normal thinking because it's so easy to say, okay, it's time to read the Bible. So I'm going to sit down, I'm going to read the Bible, and I read the Bible, and I'm like, oh, that's great. Oh, Jesus is so wonderful. Amen. And that's that. Rather than to give it some thought, rather than open myself up to what is it about this passage that the Holy Spirit might actually want to say to me, or in this case, you, today. The scriptures are so much more dynamic than we really give them credit for. They really are. The fact that God preserved these things for our use. Trying to get us out of that conditioning, both in worldly culture and religious culture. Also, I think it's a way to get our attention. You read about being born again. What in the world are you talking about, Jesus? That's what Nicodemus was saying. Living water? What does that mean? My food is to do the will of God? Do the will of the Father who sent us? And to finish it? That when you think about these things, it, it, it starts to expand. And here's the thing that's, I think, really important. You begin to apply it more personally. Because how this particular passage might look in your world is going to look a little different than what it looks like in my world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because your situations are unique to you. Using the material, too, to explain the spiritual. Because he uses these ideas of comparison and metaphor. I've been out at times. I actually, out time, at times, I actually work, do physical work, believe it or not. And in the summertime, um, and it's getting hotter here. I don't know about you, but I, when I first, we first moved here. Incidentally, it's been 20 years that we, 20 years ago this weekend, we were doing worship in Prineville. We were here looking around to see if God was leading us to plant here. Time flies when you're having fun, you know. But anyway, um, 
being outside and you are parched and you finally get that drink of water and there there's not to me there's nothing like good water all right a nice it doesn't even really have to be really cold for me okay uh sometimes you put too much ice in anyway um but there's nothing like a good cool glass of water is there at least to me but I'm outside, and I'm hot, and I'm tired, and I need, I need that drink of water to sustain my body. And then when I start to think about that, as I'm sitting there and refilling my glass, I'm thinking, wow, I need this same drink to re- replenish me spiritually. It replenishes my soul. The living water, which of course is the Holy Spirit. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Right? But I, 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 I find this interesting that, again, that Jesus talks about his, his food doing the will of the Father. Because I think there are many, many different ways by which we as Christians grow. I think we grow through prayer. I think we grow through reading the Bible. I think we grow through other spiritual disciplines that are really um, more about serving the Lord, often by serving others. And I, and I think about God's will here where Peter talked about that it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he compares the harvest or the, 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 the gathering of souls to the harvest. Did you not, do you not say that in four months and the, the harvest will take place? Well, well, he's saying now is the time. The fields are white. Other translations say the fields are ripe for the harvest. And so let me ask you without, uh, and I, I, I don't like making people feel guilty. That's not my, my goal here. What is your story? that you can share with someone else about how Jesus has changed your life. What is your story? And some people have very dramatic conversion experiences. And I used to think those were just great and wonderful, and I still do, or I still do. But the reality is that I think some of the greatest conversion stories are people who were saved when they were young and God got a hold of them early. And, they, and you know, they really haven't known really much of anything else other than walking with God, even though with that there's some ups and downs. And, and yes, I think at times we all, to use the Baptist term, we all backslide. We all kind of slip away some. 
But I think those are, the, are the, really the, the greatest testimonies that God got a hold of you early and has protected you and preserved you and continues to keep you. And, 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 um, but the thing is, part of your story is what is it that God is doing for you today? I think that's an important question that each and every one of us probably should ask ourselves probably on a daily basis. Lord, what are you doing for me today? And just sit and wait for the answer. Because I think he will answer that. And and to, to have that sense of connection with God understanding his will so that we're able to share with others. And I've, I've heard in the, at times in the past, well, somebody say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, I don't either. Okay, I don't. All right? It's not one of my... It's not one... It's, it, I'm a pastor teacher. That's who I am. All right? But I still have a story. I've shared this with you before. I remember one years ago now, uh, one time in Ray's, and there was this one woman who worked there, and she was gregarious might be a way to describe her. We get in her line. She goes, well, what's the word? It's right here. I thought, cool. Well, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except for by me. I just left it with her. God's word will not return void. We're in what Newport, I guess. Yeah. So we're in some bead shop for my wife, right? I'm bored out of my mind, right? <laughs> but I'm there, and we're, you know, we got a weekend or whatever, having a good time, just kind of chilling out. So I started talking with a shopkeeper and started talking about philosophy, which I know a few things about. So I started talking about Aristotle and, uh, and the difference between Aristotle and Plato and, and, and really took off with Aristotle. And I, I, went, th- I went here on, with you guys on Wednesday night, by the way. Started talking about causation. And Aristotle, his name for God was the prime mover. The prime, the first mover, the first cause. And, and I segued into this conversation about Aristotle knew better. He knew there was a God. He knew that there was a God who caused all things, created all things. I just kind of, just, you know, I'm sewing. You know, uh, you know what's really funny is you got, some of you guys met Rob when he came here and spoke, Right? You know what Rob used to do for a living? He was a car salesman. I just found this out. I was like, oh, this is good. You know, and and, because and, uh, we were at a, in, he was in the meeting with us uh, last week. And, you know, we, we talked about the dynamic of just sharing your faith, but, but not necessarily feeling the pressure to close. You know, the closer. You know, I haven't bought a car in, it's been long. 
maybe too long. Anyway, uh, you know how the, the salesman, they, if I can get you into this car for $340 a month for the next, will you buy it today, right? That's the line they always use, right? And you say, yes. And now you feel like an idiot because now you've committed yourself and then you feel like you have to stick to your word. But anyway, but they, after they, they try to negotiate the deal, then comes the sales manager, a.k.a. the closer, right? He's trying to reap. So the first guy sowed. Who's the closer in the gathering of souls? There's one. And that's the Holy Spirit. Now, he may use people, but the reality is there was something going on with the, with the Holy Spirit in the hearts of those people in that town that made them leave town, go down to the well, and see this guy that this woman who, and I can imagine her probably bursting on the scene. The guy's in the middle of building something, and this woman, you've got to come see this guy. You know, and, and people interrupting their day because of the testimony of a changed life. And as I said last Sunday, it was when they heard the voice of Jesus that they believed. So we have a story. And we've been called to do the will of the Father. It's interesting about this idea of the will of the Father because Mark chapter 3 says, uh, 335 um, says, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother, Jesus said. Jesus also, t- well, we'll get there eventually. Actually, we're getting close to John 6. John 6, 29, it says, Jesus answered and he said to them, this is the work, the purpose, the will of God that you believe in him whom he sent. It's God the Son's will that he does the will of the Father. It is God the Father's will that we believe in him whom he sent, referring to the Son. You have this interplay again between the Trinity. And of course, it's the Holy Spirit who's the one who, who moves in our hearts, who draws us and shows us of our need for Christ. But what he's going on here is he's tying in the will of the Father to the harvest of souls. That's what he's doing. Now, that's not his only will. Okay, I, th- I think that's, that's pretty clear in, in considering other scripture. But it's definitely a part of it. And it's important to note where Jesus says in this illustration that those who reap are those whom he has sent. Those who sow are those whom he has sent. It says in verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. One of Rob's stories that he talked about earlier, I thought it was pretty funny. 
he had a friend that he he would share the uh, uh, share the gospel with time and time and time again. He, he tried to lead him to Christ, and the guy didn't want to become a Christian. But he, but he started coming to church anyway, and he said, as it worked out, Rob was in the nursery the morning that this guy prayed to receive Christ. <laughs> so Rob didn't even get to be a part of it at all, which I thought was, and and, and yet you know. One sows, another reaps. And Paul talks about this even, and he talks about this to the Corinthians. One sowed and another reaps. And, 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 and to entrust what we like to call our ministry, we entrust our ministry to the work of the Holy Spirit. Because he may use someone, and often it is that when you talk to someone about the faith, they probably have heard about it before. And at times I, you know, I, debating whether to share this. But I, I at times, you know, and I understand that people have had bad experiences with churches. All right? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I bet you every one of you could if I said, you ever had a bad experience with church? I had more, I had a few more than some of you. So that maybe, maybe some of you don't have to have one. I don't know. But one of the things that really grabbed a hold of me is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where he says, I determined not to know anything among you other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he even goes on to say that I was with you in weakness and trembling, which I find fascinating because that means he got up and he stuttered and he stammered and he probably did not do well in his presentation, which in the Greek culture of that time, being able to give a very good speech was everything. Because they didn't have TV, they didn't have internet, they didn't have movies, they, could, you know, they didn't have any of that stuff. And so part of their entertainment was to go and listen to someone speak and, how, and they would not only judge the content of what they spoke, but the delivery of how they would share with someone. It's called rhetoric. But Paul also said that he was, he shared in such a way that they would receive the message of the gospel not by the persuasiveness of men, but by the power of God. Which is really, really, really important. Not by the persuasiveness of men, but by the power of God. Because I think at times in evangelism training, we, we, we want to be, we want to relate to people. And yes, we should relate to people. But at the same time, we need to recognize that the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to do the work. He's the one that's going to draw the person's heart. He sends us, and then he does the work in and through us. 
Matthew 9, Jesus said, Matthew 9, 38, Therefore pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest. So I would say that I'm close. But I would say look for opportunities to share your story of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Look for opportunities to share your experience. And I and I think in particularly in today's day and age, often it is and we, we the elders met last week. We, we actually talked about this a little bit. It, it seems that people decide to give their lives to Christ because they have been brought into a community of Christians who not only tolerated them, but actually cared for them. Not only tolerated them, but actually cared for them. So as, it, as I think about this, and I'm tying this in my own mind, I'm tying it back to this idea uh, of God doing whatever it is that he desires to do both in us and in our midst. There's a whole lot about, when you think about this, there's a whole lot about this Christian life, Right? That is really something that is beyond our control. It really is beyond our control. Paul couldn't help that he was there in weakness and in trembling when he spoke to the Corinthians. I'm sure he wasn't planning on doing it that way. Stuttering and stammering his way through a gospel presentation in one way, shape, or form. But he had to even give what appeared to be his failure to God. And allow God to do the increase. And he tells the Corinthians, one watered, one planted, another watered, but it was God who gives the increase. So don't feel like you've got to close the deal. But look for the privilege and the joy of fulfilling the will of the Father by sharing your story with someone else. Amen.